We want to go into the words from here. We'll be going to Revelation TV and then we we'll, again we'll go to TBN. But I want you to welcome uh, uh, Pastor, what's your name? Mutale. <laughs> Pastor Mutale. They <laughs> <laughs> love when I say it. He wants me to say it. And the other one is Pastor, what's your name? Piri. Pastor Piri. Piri. <laughs> so let's welcome all the way from Virginia, uh, Reverend Johnson. Yeah. Reverend Johnson. Let's give him a good clap. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> you can be seated. Pastor Mutale. <laughs> Mkwai. <laughs> As the bishop said, we need to get right to the Word of God. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. The message I want to give to you today is called Toppling the Idols We've Created. We're going to destroy the idols we have created. Amen? Amen. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 1. These are the words of God. Then the word of Yahweh came to me, saying... Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, Thus says Lord Yahweh to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. Verse 5. No eye had pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for your soul was abhorred on the day you were born. Then I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood. So I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Indeed, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous like plants of the field. Then you grew up, became tall, and came into the age of fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time of love, for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares Lord Yahweh. Then I washed you with water, rinsed your blood off from you and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of skin on your feet and I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I also adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a splendid crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. 
You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, so you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your name went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because my, of my majesty which I set on you, declares Lord Yahweh. But you trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of your name, and you poured out your harlotries on every passerby who might be willing. You took some of your clothes, made for yourself high places of various colors, and played the harlot on them, which should never come about nor happen. You also took your splendid jewelry made of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself male images that you might play the harlot with them. Then you took your embroidered cloth and covered them and gave my oil and my incense before them. Also my bread, which I gave you, fine flour, oil, and honey with which I had you eat, you gave before them for a soothing aroma. So it happened, declares Lord Yahweh. Moreover, you took your sons and daughters whom you had borne to me and sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Were your harlotries so small a matter? You slaughtered my children and gave them up to idols by causing them to pass through fire. Besides all your abominations and harlotries, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare. You were squirming in your blood. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, our Heavenly Father and God, we come now before you asking that you would help us turn aside from the idols we've created. To help us better live for your glory and praise, we desire to honor you with our lives, but we acknowledge that we oftentimes fall short, and I ask and pray that you would help me here as I open up your word, that we together would be humbled to receive what we find therein through Christ our Lord, and amen. I'm calling this message, Toppling the Idols We Have Created, because the theme of this conference has been Psalm 72. And in Psalm 72, verses 8 and 9, we read this, and it's speaking of King Jesus. May he, Jesus, also have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let the desert creatures kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. And in verse 11, Solomon, who wrote this, and let all kings bow down to him. Amen. President Biden. All nations serve him. I want to point out something obvious to you. This text demands the worship of King Jesus from everyone. Everyone is obligated to worship King Jesus, including the kings, including the nations. Your nation, my nation, all nations, China, Japan, Pakistan, must all worship King Jesus. And we are not permitted, in light of this, we are not permitted, we are not allowed to create, to maintain, and to worship idols. Instead, those things must be toppled. They must be brought down. They must be broken and shattered. And the heart is to worship Christ and Him alone. The Bible does not, in any place, allow for the worship of idols. From cover to cover, no idols. None. Jesus Christ demands to be worshipped exclusively. 
Now, the nature of idolatry can be surreptitious, meaning it can be unnoticed. Sometimes we don't notice the idols that we're worshiping. And the reason that we oftentimes do not see the idol is because by that idol we see everything else. My glasses, when I first got my eyeglasses, when I was a teenager, the first few weeks, I couldn't help but notice there was something here. Now, I go the whole day not knowing it's here. The longer you worship idols, the easier it is to see through them and not be able to know that you even have them. We can be influenced by ideas or philosophies or idols and never really see what they are because they tend to be hidden in the secret recesses of our hearts. And we use them to see the world. Usually we are last to learn about the effect that they have on us because again, like glasses, their existence is there. We assume their existence and we look through them in order to see the world however we choose to see the world. No one can say to me, Pastor, I avoid idolatry completely. I avoid philosophies. I don't get wrapped up in talking about worldview because I just want to live my life unencumbered, not, not brought down by deep and mysterious things. I'm just a simple man. I just want to live a pragmatic, easygoing life. My response to you would be, like it or not, you have just shown me your philosophical belief. You cannot say, even saying, I don't have any idols and I don't have any philosophies that drive me, is a philosophy. And that's because your worldview, how you view the world, it's inevitable. It's not whether you'll have one, but which worldview will you have? It's not whether you're going to worship someone or something as the apex, as the center, as the foundation, as the supreme ultimate in your life. It's not whether you're going to have that, but who in this world is going to give you that? Who is it going to be? Who will, give you, who will you give your life in obedience to? Everyone, including the most ardent atheist, and I talk to atheists all the time on college campuses in Virginia, even the most ardent atheist has a world and life view. They too have a pair of glasses. They perceive things in the world, and that means our job as Christians is to topple the idols, yes, but we have to help them see what they are. Now, before we get to the text, I want to give you a working definition of idolatry. In the Old Testament, you'll remember that Yahweh forbade the making and worshiping of images meant to represent God. Yes? Yes. Okay, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Number two, statues, images, molten images, likeness, all of these things function as idols. Moses insisted in Deuteronomy 4.15 that no idols be made for the simple fact that God has never been seen. Why shouldn't you make an idol and worship it? Because you've not seen God. Several times in the Bible, idol making is mocked. 
The Bible makes fun of idol making. Isaiah does it. The psalmist does it. It's in several different places. But why? Why does the Bible mock the making of of idols? Because they are lifeless. They're lifeless. They're human-made objects. One guy chops down a tree, cooks his food over the fire from the wood that's there, and then he crafts an idol, and he says, Aha, this God delivered me. You just made it. How did, how, that's a puny God. The Bible also tells us that the makers of idols become deaf, dumb, and stupid, just like the idols. And you know why? It's because we become like that which we worship. We become like that which we worship. You're either in the image of Christ or you're the image of an idol that you've made. And your life will reflect it. Whatever you worship, that's whose image you intend to represent in the world. Whatever you worship, whatever you give your time and attention, your money, your praise, your prayer, whatever you give that to, your whole life to, that's whose image you intend to represent in the world. And if you don't want to worship the God whose image you bear, then you will recast your own image into another God and you'll become just like that God. And you will be as impotent as that God. You will be as powerless as that God. Idolatry at its most basic level is the substitution of that which is created in place of the creator. That's what idolatry is. It's substituting that which is created for the creator. Now in one sense, idols are easily identifiable because we simply look, we need to look, where is your time given? Where is your attention given? Where do you focus your thoughts, your hearts? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Wherever that's at. And once we do that, we can see what it is we've put in place. We can find out what we have substituted in place of the Creator. Some people worship nature, which by nature I mean creation. Some people worship money. Some people worship power. Some people worship history. We're going to look at those closer later, but some people worship mankind. Some prefer social or cultural worship. Others worship power and politics. I'll tell you what, side note here, this needs to be said. Listen carefully. Most people, well, most recently, there were people who decided to give complete obedience to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in America, and the WHO, the World Health Organization. We stopped using our brains and said, whatever they say, we're just gonna do. And most people went along with it, especially in my country. I didn't wear face masks. I'm not taking any vaccine they ever come up with, and neither should you. They have chosen to try to dominate your life. And we need to discern and see through it. They're, I call it a health cult. It's a health cult. They push these dangerous vaccines on people. This is going to save us. That's idolatry talking. 
And Brother Ron, Pastor Ron said it last night, but I would have, my advice for every African on this continent, stay away from what's being sold to you. Because big pharma, the pharmaceutical companies, they don't love you. Jesus loves you. They don't. They want your money and they want you dead. Stay away. Now, whatever you find to be ultimate and supreme, that is the focus. Those things, when we focus our glory on something and we give them glory, that is the center of your worship. That's the center of your worship. And if it isn't King Jesus, you have an idol. Ezekiel 16. I'm going to run through that and summarize it for you. And you need, this is a powerful passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But in verses 1 through 5, Ezekiel is told to prophesy against Israel. And here, Israel is seen as a helpless, unloved baby girl who has been dumped into a field and left to perish and die on her own. Okay? She was hated by her parents, who happened to be, in this instance, <laughs> this is funny, this is funny. Israel's father was an Amorite, and the Hittite was the mother. That's who they had turned to for sustenance. Rather than God the Father being their father, they chose pagans to be their father and mother. So her plight was real. Israel was in a dangerous situation because she had done something evil. The next section in verses 6 through 14, God comes to this child in the field and has pity on this child. He rescues, he cleanses, he clothes, and he raises the baby girl. He disciples this baby girl. Soon she becomes a young woman. And when she's of age, God marries her. God dresses her in fine linen clothes and gives her lavish gifts. She's adorned so that the nations might see her beauty. But alas, in verse 15 onward, Israel, the bride, guess what Israel had done? Betrays her husband. And she prefers to play the role of a harlot. She goes on to commit spiritual adultery with other gods of the other nations. And rather than bringing glory to Yahweh, her husband, she uses his gifts that he gave to her to entice the nations. What have you received that's not from God? What do you have that is not from God? What did you bring into this world? Did you bring anything into this world? Did you bring 500 kwacha with you into this world? No. No U.S. dollars. You brought nothing. You didn't even bring clothes into this world. Israel had sacrificed her sons and daughters to the idols, and the idols devoured them. Idols only take, they never give. Jesus gives. Amen? She slaughtered God's children and gave them up to the idols. This is verse 21. By causing them to pass through fire. Literally, we are talking about infanticide. When they would put their children into the fire to sacrifice to the god Molech. And that's happening in America, and it will come here if you don't stay on the wall and watch. It is here. It is here. And they're going to be relentless in pushing it. We want your children dead. That's what they're doing. They're not going to say that. 
but they're going to make it happen. And you have to stand your ground and say, no, not here. In verse 22, she had forgotten where she'd come from. Have any of you ever forgotten where you'd come from? (laughs) Naked and bare in a field, barely alive. That's where she was until God raised her to new life. Ezekiel later speaks about how she fanned the flames of God's anger because she was promiscuous with Egypt. She couldn't find enough lovers in Assyria. That's verse 28. That's some strong language. Even with Babylon, she wasn't satisfied. What does idolatry look like in terms of the covenant with God? Look at verse 25. Are you ready for this? You spread your legs to every passerby to multiply your harlotry. That is perversion of the utmost. That is sexual sin, yes, but it's even the littlest sins. It's the lying. It's the lack of self-control, self-discipline, not managing your time well, not managing your resources well. That's harlotry, and it's idolatry, because you're worshiping yourself. Instead of staying married to Yahweh and being a one-man woman, she became a prostitute, having sex with anyone and everyone. She was a harlot, a whore. And if you want to know what God thinks of idolaters, think of prostitution. That's the language. That's harsh language, but it's true. See, God's punishment for idolaters is spelled out in the rest of the chapter. She's turned over to, her en- uh, to God's enemies. God gives her over to the enemies. She's going to be stripped naked, ashamed. She will be repaid for her sins. She, she will eventually be restored after God's anger is finished, he says in verse 53. She will be ashamed. Shame is a good thing, friends. Shame is a grace. After all is said and done, God will pardon her, restore her, and bring her back by grace. Do me a favor, flip real quick to Hosea. Just a few pages toward the end of the Bible. Hosea chapter 8, verse 4. Just one verse here. And, and, and you may want to underline this in your Bible. Because this is going to stick with you. You wanted to receive a word today? Get ready. We've only just begun. Hosea chapter 8, verse 4 says this. They have set up kings but not by me. You know what that means? They put ungodly rulers in place who don't fear God but love a bribe. They have set up kings but not by me. They have appointed princes, but I did not know it. With their silver and gold, they have made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. Now remember, the book of Hosea is a story about Hosea whose prophetic ministry dealt with a real-life harlot. Her name was Gomer. Do you remember the story? The relationship between Hosea and Gomer illustrates God's relationship with Israel, his bride. And we get to the root of the prostitution. She's living life on her own, putting ungodly 
kings in place, using the gold and silver to create idols, to worship them, to bow down to them, to serve them, to give their entire lives to them, only to be cut off. See that? In my country, the church is being cut off right now. Christians are being cut off because we have not been faithful. We are being overrun by paganism and humanism. And we deserve it. Actually, we've murdered 100 million babies and counting in 50 years. We deserve to be utterly destroyed. See, Israel was charged in this text with lying and killing and stealing and, and adultery. They had godless civil leaders. You know what they had in the pulpit? They had godless religious leaders. They were willfully ignorant. They were charged with idolatry on many occasions in the book of Hosea. They were charged with drunkenness and arrogance and insincere sacrifices, covenant breaking. They were charged with all of the sins you could ever think of. They refused to listen to God's word. And as a result, what happens when you refuse to listen to God's word? God will destroy those idols. And he carried them off into Assyria in captivity. He left them homeless and destitute. But why does God do that? Because he knows that idols are bad for us. Even when we don't know that they're bad for us. Why does a doctor use a scalpel to cut you open? Because something underneath is destroying the body. Why does God chastise those he loves? Because when we, won't, when we refuse to part with our idols, God is relentless. So, how shall we then live? We've looked at the text, how do we live? The purpose of Yahweh ruling, ruling against not only the making and the, but the worshiping of idols, the reason God said that is for a few reasons. Number one, having no idol prevents Yahweh from being confused with anything in creation. There's a reason God said, don't make idols and don't worship them. God doesn't want to be confused with creation. He's distinct from creation. The creator God is far too high, far too glorious to be confused with anything that he himself has made. Anything that we made is trash compared to his glory. Our righteousness are what? Filthy rags. There cannot be a blurring of the line between the creator and the creation. The creator is divine. The creature is not. The creator is transcendent. The creation is not. The creator is absolute. The creation is what? Not. The second reason. Being without an idol allows Yahweh to come and go from the earthly realm rather than binding himself to an idol. See, the Bible says our God is in the heavens. He does what? Whatever he pleases. Our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. If God were to be brought low to a specific place at a specific time through the means of an idol, how can, we, how can he be said to be God? Solomon already told us. Remember in Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple in 1 Kings 8.27? He says... But will God truly dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Amen. 
Let me tell you right now, your God is too small. Your God is too small. If you think you can contain him to a building, to a statue made of wood, your God's too small. The universe cannot contain him. See, idolatry tends to want to contain God into a manageable situation. We like to manage it on our terms. We want to we contain him to our needs and our desires. But you cannot contain the self-contained sovereign God. He needs nothing from you. He needs nothing from me. He needs nothing from his creation. So idolatry is ruled out. Another reason, and this is related to the second, but Yahweh, God forbade idols because people can't manipulate Yahweh through his physical representation since there wasn't an idol to possess. When men make idols out of wood or gold or silver, they do it in order to have some sense of control. Now, Aaron, we're going to go to Exodus, ready? Aaron and Israel fashioned the golden calf, what, five minutes after they left Egypt? Right? And what did Aaron say? This is Exodus 32, verse 4. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. What did God... Now remember, Moses is on the mountain, and God says, yeah, those guys are at it again. You need to go down and deal with this. So what happens? What does God do? They smash and topple the idol that they had created, mixes it with water, and what did God make them do? Drink. You want the idol, God will make you eat the idol. You want the state government to control your every move? Get ready. They will control your every move. You want that idol? As we say, buckle up. Put the seatbelt on and get ready, because it's not going to be pretty. But why did Aaron make an idol? Why did he do that? Why did he do... Why did, why did Aaron make an idol in order to try and make it look like this was the thing that brought Israel out of Egypt? Why? He did it because Yahweh has no physical presence. Not until Christ. Another story. But he has no physical presence. Aaron wanted to capture this God in his own imagination. He wanted to make the intangible God tangible. He wanted something he could control. Lastly, fourthly, multiple idols of Yahweh would have led to the fragmentation of Yahweh, whose unity was of the utmost importance. Some of these ideas are from another scholar, um, and I'm, I'm simplifying here. But if Yahweh... If Yahweh was the golden calf, this golden calf that you could hold in your hand, could Yahweh also at the same time be a silver statue over in Shiloh? No. Because Yahweh has an indivisible unity. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. He is a unity. You can't break him up into multiple statues and bow down to them. 
The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cannot be broken. Each person there is God, and the three are one, one in three. Yahweh was not easily fragmented like the gods of the nations. And why? Because he's the sovereign Lord of the universe. He's not just a puny God that you put on a shelf in your home. You cannot, despite your anger and lust, climb up to heaven, drag him down, and make, you, make him stare at you in the eyes. If you did that, you'd die. That's how glorious our God is. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time considering idolatry. How does idolatry show itself today? And we have to remember to use sober judgment here, because we're all guilty to some degree or another. The standard by which we judge all teachings must be this word, correct? We talked about that last night. This word of authority that comes from God. Isaiah 8, to the law and to the testimony. Isaiah 8, 20. If they speak not according to this word, surely there is no light for them. So if you fail to submit to the scriptures as the authoritative word that it is, you know what you're going to be? Double-minded. You know what double-minded people are? Unstable. James chapter 1. So instead of being driven by the wind of God's spirit, you're carried about by the wind of false doctrine. So that's why we need to hold Christ in utter supremacy or we will falter. Now, the challenging thing about identifying idols is that oftentimes we don't want to admit that our hearts have been captured by them. It's hard to admit you're wrong sometimes, correct? But these idols are legion. They are many. Consider the idol of history. It's called historicism, but history. For many, for many people, we think that we're caught in the gears of history. Time just moves on. We don't take time seriously. We just think that we're victims of time. Things just happen. There's not much that can be done. Many Christians believe in the idea of fate. Ah, whatever happens is just going to happen. Fate, as if that's a god. As if fate numbered the hairs on your head. Life just means going along with whatever happens because change is impossible. We'll never be able to do it unless we have U.S. dollars. We'll never be able to do it unless this. We'll make excuses. We'll never get anywhere. We're just victims of time. And I'll tell you, that is an idol. You know why it's an idol? Because it leaves out the sovereignty of God and the ability of man to shape the future. If he will work hard in obedience to God. Poverty can be broken. Politics doesn't have to be evil. The answer is trusting in God and faithfully acting in accordance to his word, his law, his standard, as history is not just a thing that happens. History is guided by God's covenants. He sent Christ in history to change history. You are not victims of this. You are more than conquerors. Amen. 
Another idol is the problem of humanism. Humanism is a deification of man. It's an elevation of man to God's status. In this idol, man is the measure of all things. Man is the height of everything. He's not the image of God. Man is whatever image he chooses for himself. Man is, in this system, God. And man's main job is to control other men. And people love that. Humanists love statism. They love the state. They want more power to the state. Tax us more because we want you to be even more powerful. They don't say that, but that's how they live their lives. They use the state to control others, and this always results in strife and distrust and indifference. But man is not God. He is subordinate to God. Man must obey God's word, knowing that he's an image bearer of God means he's subordinate to God. He is not God. Don't think you're God. Money is another idol. Shall we talk about the kwacha? You know you worship money if you think that simply having more would make your life better. If only I had more money, my life would be better. That's what humanists want you to think. And as they seize more and more control over your life, they want to manipulate the money supply to ensure you become slaves of the civil government. Inflation is happening worldwide. It's really bad in my country right now. And it's because governments mess with the money supply. And this, this happened when they mishandled the pandemic. They said, everybody stay home, we'll throw money at you. Yay, give us free money. Costs go up, the value of the dollar goes down, and everyone suffers. And either you are going to use money for the kingdom or money's gonna use you for the devil. Know the difference. Nature can be an idol. When men, to de men determined to control other men through fake doctrines like climate change and global warming, nature is also an idol when we all think that, and there are people in my country who love this doctrine, we all evolved from apes. Power is another idol. Simply being in power over others, be it in your family, with a husband who thinks he is, he is the priest of his home. Husbands, you are not the priest. Christ is the priest. You're the servant Lord. You are not the king. You're a king in Christ, but you do not lord it over your family. You protect your family. Power in the church. Elders and pastors who are held to this higher podium where we put you up on a pedestal and oh, they're, they're just the greatest. It's the priesthood of all believers, friends. Power in the state. People want to entice others so that they can dominate others. That's the idol of power. Jesus Christ has all authority and his kingdom is the only totalitarian regime. Do you hear me? It's only Christ's kingship that is total. Civil governments are not authorized to be total. That job is taken. False religions and conceptualizations of God are idols that have to be toppled. If you've ever began a sentence, I like to think of God as being like this. Idol, destroy it. You are not permitted to think of God however you want to think of God. 
And if you are prone to ignore parts of the Bible or difficult in biblical concepts like predestination, if you, if you struggle with parts of the Bible, guess what? You have an idol. And if you want the priesthood of Christ but not the kingship of Christ, you have an idol. And I will say this. We're closing up here. It's a difficult thing to part with an idol. It's a difficult thing. But if we are serious about obeying King Jesus, we will do whatever it takes to leave them behind. The idols must be thrown in the trash. We must root them out. We must put them to death. We must tear them down. We must part with them. We must be adamant and go on the offensive, not the defensive. Go against the idols of the day. Go against the high places. And of all the idols that are available to man, let me tell you something. The hardest one to abandon is the self. Of all the idols that are out there, the hardest one to deal with is the idol of self. What Zambia needs right now is worldview evangelism. We've been talking a lot with the bishop about this. Worldview evangelism. That's what we need in the U.S. You need it right now. And let me tell you, do not wait until your culture apostatizes to do evangelism. Don't wait until things are so bad. Well, I guess we better start sharing the gospel now. Worldview evangelism, whatever cultural issues are going on in the world, especially in the realm of politics, whatever they are, you need to bring the gospel there because it's a gospel issue. Don't wait until the Tower of Babel is built to start warning people about the Tower of Babel. What the globalists, the globalist elite, we want to do, they, they go beyond humanism. You know what they talk about? Transhumanism the age of robots, the age of our artificial intelligence, medical tyranny, or that's one of the things they're using to deal with it. But there are groups out there in the world, perhaps you have heard of the World Economic Forum, you've heard of the United Nations. These are evil people. And there may be ostensible Christians who are working there, they just don't realize the evil. But you gotta tell them. They want total control over all industries. They want to control how many children you have. They've done it in China for years. They want to control what medicine you take. And the threat is real. And if you will not warn your fellow countrymen, it will be too late. And that's the struggle right now in America. The Tower of Babel that is Washington, D.C. is already built. And we've waited too long to hear about it from our pulpits. And there are pulpits that still will not address it, and they're hirelings. They're not servants of the Most High. But Zambia, oh Zambia, there is still hope. There's still hope. But I must warn you, if you want to take on the idols of the day, and worldview evangelism requires you to do so, if you are to tear down all of those high places, if you are to topple the idols we've created, then it falls on you to do the work. God will raise up his Gideons to crush the idols. He will raise up his Elijahs to destroy the priests of Baal. But he will not bless unfaithfulness. God blesses those who are faithful to his gospel, faithful to his law. He will not bless a nation that would rather have their idols than do the hard work of crushing them. Crushing them to the dust. May the Lord empower a new generation of laborers to gladly work 
in the vineyard of Christ's kingdom for the glory and praise of the King. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap for a friend for Pastor.